You are listening to the Mad Device Rep Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the men and women of the Red Hat Gang, aka the online community of medical device sales reps. I'm your host, the Mad Device Rep. What's up, Red Hat Gang, and welcome to episode two of the Mad Device Rep Podcast. On this show, it's not just going to be me this time. We're actually bringing on one of our very own from the Red Hat Gang. He's a Med Device Rep, a proud father, a comedian in his off time, and actually one of the original Mad Device Meme Lords, aka one of the winners of Mad Device Meme Competition. So with that, welcome Ryan Patrick to the show. How are we doing, man? DR is so good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. This is great. I'm honored. Happy to have you, man. I knew um, I knew you had something going whenever I found some of your your comedy content, and you had that that like noise machine for your baby, and you were hitting the different sound buttons. It was like a rain button, like a just white noise button, and then you hit it again, and it was like Nickelback photograph playing. You're like shaking it, like no, 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 not this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Eminem, <laughs> you know, all that Caucasian stuff that everybody's tired of. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, that. That was a pandemic. That's kind of how I got through uh, the pandemic when I wasn't zooming and doing modules like everybody in the Red Hat gang was probably doing. I was uh, I was doing that and trying to do skits. So, so when you when you talk about doing skits, is that like online content, like TikTok type skits? Uh, yeah, I would say so. It's definitely formatted for. Uh, TikTok, really just quick little, you know, sketches that I would do. Um, and when we weren't uh, on Zoom or sometimes when we were on Zoom uh, with our managers and stuff, I'd be like thinking of ideas because, I mean, how many times can you really learn your product, you know? Uh, that was one of the things we had to do was uh, just go through the slides and kind of refresh ourselves with, information on uh on our products and techniques and stuff and it was getting very monotonous so i'm like all right how can i make this more fun so yeah we just think of ideas and film it i'm sure and i I remember that time and i I don't envy the sales manager's role during that pandemic trying to keep everybody engaged and in that feeling of wanting to keep everybody productive but at the end of the day right like there's only so much you can do yeah yeah i mean we're so limited, you know. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what you do as a med device rep? Yeah, so uh, I've been doing this for about six years. Uh, I've been in orthopedics the entire time. Uh, I am uh, New Jersey, New York, PA, that whole area. And uh, you know, you would never know it from the accent. Really? You can't? I don't have. I don't have any kind of accent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, do I? I don't know. I've been told so many different things. Uh, but yeah, so it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've been doing six years. I really don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Um, love it. It's, it's, been, uh, it's been great. Definitely unlike any job I've had previously. I mean, I'm sure you know too. Like, uh, It's just, I don't know, just waking up at 6 a.m. with your adrenaline rushing, uh, going into a case, crushing it, and you just want to celebrate the rest of the day. There's so many highs and lows to this. Um, it's it's pretty addicting, which is which is scary. So. 
do you still feel that adrenaline on a regular basis? I mean, you're six years in, right? That's like, you know, you're, you're now like 75 years old in med device years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think uh, – I still get it with new doctors. Um, you know, there are times where you're rolling in. You know, you have that one day a week, Mondays, Tuesdays, and you're like, all right, I got three of these cases. I can do this with my eyes closed. But I think when you get new business, you're with a new doctor, you don't know their techniques and stuff. That's when it really, uh, it just gets exciting, you know? So. Now, what specialties do you primarily focus on? I primarily focus on sports and joints, total joints. So. Uh, do you have a favorite between the two? Um. I'm gonna say sports. I think I think sports. Sports man. Yeah, edges it out. Um, I don't know. I, I I've been cross trained, and honestly, I think I can't imagine doing this job not cross trained. Um, it just switches everything up. Uh, my like I got cross trained after two years, and it just keeps everything so fresh. You know, there's some days you can do like. Two, two rotator cuff repairs, do a total knee, total shoulder, an ACL, and you're all over the place. And that day, like as, as uh, just like busy and nerve-wracking as it is, at the end of the day, you feel rejuvenated compared to a day where you're doing, you know, four of the same thing. I'm sure everybody kind of knows that. When they have like five or six of the same case, it's like, do you really even need to be there, you know? Right. Well, and I know that there are certain hospital administrators that also feel that way. Yeah. And that's where we've really got to keep an eye on what we're doing at the facility and what kind of value we're adding while mm -hmm. we're there. So I wanted to ask you about that. So like when sports med reps, you know, that, that triggering phrase, no repair, right? Oh. Like when you, when you hear that, you at least, you at least know, okay, well, at least I can pick up a total joint, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Um, I don't know. It's, it's such a different world too because uh for people that don't aren't in orthopedics it's sports sports is very uh competitive those are the cases where you can have three four different companies in the room depending on the doctor and there are times where if they have a really big ego they'll turn around they'll be like okay how much is your product how much is your product how much is yours and they just kind of they choose um some guys will ask questions and kind of try to fluster the other reps and whoever answers it the best, they'll go with them. Um, there are others that this is why all the reps are present. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Cause if they're not there, they're not getting any business. Um, and then there are, uh, like the, for total joints, I mean, there's no real competition. It's you're the only guy in the room. Um, there's no other reps knocking at your door. That's not to say that they're trying to pick business off in, you know, in the office planning lunches and stuff, but in the OR, uh, you're, you're solo. You don't have to worry about getting sniped. I heard somebody several years back use the analogy that sports med, that, that new business targeting or acquisition was like hand-to-hand -hand combat out there in the hallway, which obviously yeah. is, is pretty strong hyperbole, but I mean, do you kind of feel that way when you're trying to convert docs on the sports med oh, side? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent like that. Um, I, I don't know. I guess like I, I'm six years in and I don't know. I'm not a very aggressive guy in a sense. I, part of me, 
I'm like, okay, everybody can get a piece of the pie. You know, we don't have to uh, fight and scrap for crumbs. Why would you go for crumbs when you can, you know, go for other docks where you can get bigger pieces? Um, so for the little stuff, yeah, and I see newer reps. They, like, scrap for everything. Sutures. And you're just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, are you trying to badmouth my number two suture? Like, who cares? Yeah, take it. Whatever. Um but it's it's definitely really competitive. Um, and you start to build, like, personal vendettas against other competitors. Like like I said, like, I, I, I feel like everybody can get a slice. It's really not that big of a deal, you know. But at the same time, there are some other reps out there where you just don't jive with them. And you're like, I want to take all of this guy's business. Like, I don't care. Now, is that because of... Is that because of the tactics they're using, just their overall demeanor and how they interact with yeah, you? Yeah, both. Or is it just, it's a combination yeah. of things. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always been, I'm just speaking out of personal experience. Um, there are a couple companies where they hire a bunch of sports, uh, former athletes and stuff, and they got these real alpha guys, you know, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and they're in the room, and they'll kind of look at you and they won't acknowledge you at all, you know? And if they like, won't make eye contact, yeah, they're like just that kind of little thing, hardos, like... just, you know, the alpha males, you know? And I'll go up, I'll be like, yo, what's up, man? Hey, I'm Ryan. How are you? And just try to just be really nice to them. And it just makes it more awkward. And I don't know. I, I do that because it's like, there's no point of trying to be such a hardo, uh, you know, we're doing it for the patient on the table. There's no need for egos to come into play now. Um, you know, we're doing it. And I've never understood, like, how that's even, like, enjoyable experience. I understand, like, a very strong competitive drive. But whenever there's just so much tension in the room mm -hmm. with that kind of attitude, it just kind of ruins it for me. Yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way about that. It's like, you don't have to just stand there glaring at me the entire time. We probably not even competing for the exact same product line here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so bizarre. And uh, I don't know. I, I always think um, people that are like that, it'll come back to bite them in the butt at some point. Um, I don't know. I feel like team players always work out well. Because there are other sports reps, other competitor reps um, that I'm friendly with. And there are times where if he can't make it to a case – I'll open up his stuff because there have been times I can't make it to a case and he'll open my stuff. And it's like a huge, huge help. Um, and that's when you start kind of like almost forming alliances, you know, like, all right, I can take my product, you can take your product and we can go after somebody else's product. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a giant game. It's crazy. There's so many, uh, tactics to this industry it's it's bizarre it's unlike working in an office that's for sure definitely not like that there is never a dull moment that's for sure and you know you, you talk about these alliances and i feel like that's something that reps who've been in the game for a long time understand do you feel like it's the newer reps that come in and they've heard how cutthroat and ruthless med devices and they feel like they have to have this just formidable hostile presence yeah. oh my god yeah, and, and I was I was definitely I think I was like that to an extent too. I wasn't like hardcore, but um, I was you know standoffish. Uh, but 
but even now, like you can walk into an operating room and look around and just see uh, the demeanor of people in there, of other reps, and you're like, oh, that guy's been here for six months, a year, you know? Uh, they're ready to just talk trash on every little thing about your product, and you're like, all right, come on, let's relax, uh, save it for outside the OR. I, and that's short-sighted, too. I mean, I feel like, and this is just my own lens, the average customer, when they see that going on, I can't imagine that that's, that's even in the, like maybe in the subconscious, all that well-received, right? When they see a rep just completely bashing another rep's product instead of really focusing on what's better about their own. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's almost like politics. It's like mudslinging in politics, you know? Vote for me because right. of this guy, this thing, he does this, 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 not vote for me because my product does this, 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 you know what I mean? Like I, I just, think, yeah, it's like the slander campaign. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's like, <laughs> or the smear campaign. Like, bro, why? It's just so stupid. I don't know. Do you see a lot of different yeah, competitor reps in the scene that are super cutthroat at all? You know, I've seen a few, I think I'm fortunate that my territory has a lot of tenured competitive reps that have really carved out their niche mm. and it's not quite as as cutthroat where I'm I'm as worried about like shady tactics and people undercutting, um, you know my my product features and things like mm. that. Now there was an instance where I was in the room with a rep who honestly wasn't even competitive with my product line, and we had some issue that that wasn't even related to the product. It was actually related to how it was sterilized, and this person went on to all these other accounts trying to spread this dirt. And it was hilarious because those customers called me like, do you have any idea what this person's telling everybody and what they were spreading wasn't even remotely accurate. It wasn't even the right product name that they were trying to smear. So honestly, I mean, that's, that's one of the few times and I consider myself lucky for this because I know other reps have plenty of these stories where where that's happened. And we hit that head on and when customers understand who you are and what you're about that didn't even phase us yeah <laughs> I, for me it was just more like what the hell like why that's so it's crazy i feel like this job can bring out the absolute worst in people you know it's i don't know it's it, it's bizarre and why and why do you think that is like what do you think triggers that i think this is a very competitive sales job and I feel like people, I don't know, when it comes to, there's always that idea of like taking business. Oh yeah, we got to take business. And I think when the opportunity is like, not even an opportunity, when they're in a setting where, you know, their stuff could, could be used, uh, they turn their competitiveness up to a 10 and they're just ready to pounce. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what do you I, mean, think? I think that's just more when I think about that, it's it's how you go about being competitive. I mean, there you've probably heard the question in this industry, like, do you love to win or hate to lose? Yeah. Oh my God. And I think, I mean, and I honestly think a lot of us just hate to lose. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of that drive comes from is just, it's our livelihood. It's in our nature. It's in most of our DNA. Like, if you're not competitive at all, this job would suck. It'd be miserable. Yeah. But when it when it comes to like resorting to you know the like when you talked about like just completely turning it up to a ten 
<clears throat> when that can sometimes involve just some pretty irrational tactics. That that's when I, I seriously wonder is 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 this person doing this to because they hate to lose, or are they doing this because if they do lose, it is just, just terrible reflection on themselves in their own mind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and then that's when it stops becoming about the patient to me. I'm not I'm not knocking the competitive nature. We all have it. It's just uh, when I think about the psychology behind why certain people do what they do and it's something I look at, I'm like, man, I never would have done it that way. You know, what that's all about. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy because so I in my area, it, it sounds pretty opposite from your area. My area, it's a lot of – it's very concentrated. A lot of ASCs in my area and there's a lot of other companies in my area and the turnover is very high. So there are other competitive companies where there will be, let's say, in one county, which to get from one end to the other is maybe 40 minutes, right? Uh, they will have, let's say, five, six teams within that county, and then each team has three, four people, I want to say, um, where, for me, we're a much smaller team and we cover a way bigger territory, so we really have to pick and choose our targets. But the other, the other companies, the other competitors, they are just like so cutthroat. I've heard stories, um, not even about like poking holes in trays. I feel like everybody has always heard that. Like that's that's the classic dirty tactic. Yeah, that's like yeah. I, I've I've seen that a couple of times. I've heard a while ago. Uh, years ago that they there was a rep that was doing a trial for ablation wands and they have uh, like remote foot pedals they're cordless foot pedals so the night before the rep is there and they're putting the batteries in the foot pedals the morning of the trial all the doctors mid-case they're trying it and none of them are working and the rep is like, what the heck? Oh, man. Goes to check, and there's no batteries in there. Somebody took the batteries out. It, it's just like, shit like that. Stuff like that. It's just, why? It's okay. You can say okay. shit. Okay, yeah. It, it, it's just bizarre how some people are crazy like that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's entertaining to see. I'll say that. I think it's just people who are willing to do that look at competition in an entirely different way. You know, maybe insecurity is not the right word. I think that might be an explanation for other types of behavior, but I think it's, it could be culture. You know, the teams that they're on, everybody's doing that kind of thing. That's what they think they have to do to get ahead. And you've, you've seen my content, my posts about certain behaviors and certain ways of selling. And if you have to do that, you got the wrong product line and you're working for the wrong company. If, if we're really in this to, to, you know, be about patient care and, and supporting the healthcare system. I mean, the compensation doesn't hurt. We wouldn't do that if that wasn't there, the difficulty of the job. But you wouldn't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you would go and find a better product to sell. It's, I, I find it entertaining when, uh, when doctors start to, build, <laughs> start to build a hatred up for other reps. Uh, do you see that at all or – Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, that 
is a very broad topic of, of why docs don't like other reps. Uh, I think for what, what I see it, most of that boils down to the reps that just have a complete lack of self-awareness, yeah. you know, like the, the Chad, the Chad character that I'm always uh, talking yes. about, like Chad, the associate that's like running through glass doors and uh, you know, running into the OR like Kramer and it's the wrong room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. But it's not that far off, right? Like, have you have you seen like in your career reps like that that just do not have that EQ that it takes to truly have that respect from the surgeon? Yeah. Oh my God, it's it's amazing how after a while doing this job, like it's amazing how people don't pick up a sense of reading the room. I feel like that is so crucial in this job and. People don't do it at all. There was there's one guy. It's funny how you mentioned Kramer because there was one case where the competitor rep came in. He was like 15 minutes late and he legit kind of like went through the operating door like Kramer and he was late. I came sliding into yeah, the room. <laughs> and he's like out of breath and he didn't call the doctor or anything. And everyone's kind of like, hey, where you been, man? Uh, kind of waiting for you. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I hit a deer earlier. And he starts talking <laughs> about hitting this deer. And we found out he hit the deer like four hours before the case. So we're like, what were you doing? And all the implants were there. We were just like, what? Was he butchering the deer? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't. It was so bizarre. I don't know. That was one instance I can think of. You've mentioned Kramer. I'm like, oh. I've definitely seen that. So I actually had a teammate who I, I can't remember how long ago this was. It was definitely in the past year who did hit a deer really? <laughs> on the way to one of his like remote accounts. Oh. And so like I could see that being a valid excuse. But if he hit the deer four hours before, I mean, I, maybe he was calling the insurance company or yeah. I, I don't I don't know what else would, would have taken I that know. long. But at least there was some truth to it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, that's that's true, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's hard to speak about that when you haven't gone through it. Through it, like I would have obviously can't called an Uber. And, like, and he he was close to the hospital right. too. He said he he was within like thirty thirty five minutes. So it's like, dude, what are you? What were you doing that entire time? Um, decompressing yeah and traumatic experience so now have you have you ever been late to a case for just some outrageous reason yes uh, like something that was out of your control but you're like nobody's gonna believe me if i told ooh, them why i was late. uh i don't know if anything crazy but i've had cases pop up like for total joints like we we have uh we have to cover hemis the hemi hip arthroplasties and um those usually go off after hours and there's been times where i'll get a call and it's like hey uh we got a hemi and usually we know hours ahead of time but i'll get a call and be like hey we got a hemi and i'm like okay when and the doctor the one specific time i'm thinking he's like oh uh in about 40 minutes and i live 50 minutes from this account so that was a scramble. I got up to the highway and hit about half hours worth of traffic. I got there as no. the 
final implant was going in. Had to FaceTime with the nurse while I was in traffic. It, like, it was gridlocked, so we weren't moving. That's the only reason why I was FaceTiming. And I'm like, all right, grab this tray, this tray, this tray. Uh, that was, like, the only time that I was really, really late to a case. And it threatened my job security because they could do a total joint <laughs> without me being there. So... Right. Like you just completely validated the virtual rep model. Yeah. Through that. Yeah. Pretty much. I created my <laughs> own worst nightmare. What about you? Have you, have you been super late for a case for a crazy reason? Actually I have, um, there was this very remote account that I have and I was doing a trial. So like talk about one of the worst times to be late to anything. Oh my God. And, you know, I pride myself on being punctual, mm -hmm. especially when you're trying to sell somebody on a new product. And I was, I was staying in a, I don't know, it was like a courtyard or something in this place. And I, I go out to my car and there's this, uh, like homeless dude, like kind of looks, had like the, like the crackhead vibe to it. I don't know a more politically correct way of saying mm -hmm. that. And he just late he was on a bicycle and he had just laid down behind my car like just tipped over on his what? bike and was just on the ground so i think that he, like something's wrong like he got hurt so i walk up and i'm like hey man are you okay and he just like lunges at i'm like okay f this i'm out i went to the lobby and no uh they had the they had <laughs> police roll up to try and get this guy out of there because i'm like i don't know if i was just about to get stabbed or what this guy was doing, but you know, that just thousand yard stare in the guy's eyes. And um, so I show up to the hospital. I mean, I'm like 30 minutes late. I'm not there to get everything like set oh. up and make sure the right trays hold. And cause I, I, I called the, you know, I called my contact and I said, I'll just tell you the story when I get there, because it's just going to sound like the most off the wall thing. And that, that was my story that for I was late. So I got to the OR and told that story. Um, I should have known where I was because nobody was surprised. Oh, really? <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, that's part of the course. Dude, that doesn't sound like a homeless person. That sounds like a Jersey competitor rep, actually. Laying <laughs> 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 behind the car. You're not going anywhere. like one of the sports reps. Like, that was actually like my competitor's associate. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was all dressed up and laying behind my car. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> I was so mad. The best, the best offense is a good yeah. defense. Hey, if you're my competitor out there and you pulled that off, well played. Because I never would have thought of that. That's very creative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be dedicated to this job. Oh Go lay underneath that yeah, tire. Seriously, man. Seriously, man. So, uh, what are you drinking this evening? By by the way, just for the audience, I, I told Ryan and said, "Hey, like for this, we're just gonna crack a few beers and make this casual." So I should I ask you this when we first started? Oh, uh, well, I am drinking a very rare type of beer, uh, Corona with the lime. Nothing crazy. Yes, craft. What do you? What are you? Uh, what are you drinking? See, I've got the St. Arnold's Art Car. Ooh. So became an IPA guy. I spent I spent nine months in Afghanistan drinking O'Doul's, and when oh, I came wow. back. I never intended on being a beer snob, but light beer just tasted like warm Afghanistan. Odor, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, uh, I, this has been, this has been the beer that got me through the pandemic. Really? And 
I thought I was going to burn myself out on it, but it's the go-to. My friends know now, like, they're throwing a party, whatever. They've got some cold art cars on ice. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about what you do outside of work with your comedy gig. Yes. Uh, so I've been doing stand-up comedy for about uh, five years, I want to say. Yeah, give or take. Yeah, a little over five years. Um, it's it's great. I, I love it. It's definitely a lot of hard work. Um, the only reason why I feel like I can do stuff like that is because my wife is like so cool with it. Um, so we have a son and what's good about this hobby is that I do it after he goes to bed. So I always roll up like a little bit late to either mics or shows, but I always try to leave either right when he's going down or after he's passed out. Um, that's And what's nice is like even with the job too, uh, I feel like the majority of my cases are very early in the day, so we end pretty early. So I always have a little bit of time to either write or just mentally kind of uh, hash through material or, you know, just bounce ideas off of other people even. And it's good. It's, I always think of how similar stand-up comedy is to being a med device rep because of the adrenaline rush. It's almost like you, it's almost in a sense a little more challenging because you're going to a different hospital, every single venue, every single different venue you go to. You're going, it's almost like a different hospital. You go in, uh, you shake hands with the producer or, the, you know, uh, supply chain, or not supply chain, like the materials manager, you know. Uh, and then you get in that OR, you, you get on stage, and the difference is in the OR, you have a technique guide that other people have tested out that has been FDA approved that, you know, you're sure works on stage. You build your own technique guide and you have no idea if it's going to work at all. And if it doesn't work, you feel it by getting silence, <laughs> which is so painful. Um, but that's the big, you know, risk reward, uh, because when, when you do have a set that works out really well, you feel like it was strong, you know, you got along with the audience, it is the biggest high. It's the biggest adrenaline rush. It's very similar to, like, after doing your first case solo and everything went well and you walk out of that OR and you just feel like a million bucks. Like, that's exactly... You're super Yeah, right? oh my gosh. It's the best feeling in the world. The rest of the day, you're on cloud nine. Um that's definitely what it feels like. Um, but it, it's, does that help energize you for like your sales job too? When you do one of those, uh, shows, you're referring to it as like shows or mics, right? Yeah. Like whenever you just absolutely dominate that and now you've got cases the next day, do you feel like that energy carries into that next day of still writing that? Oh, high? 1 million percent. It's, I mean, mentally it, I don't know. I, I, I always tell people, because a couple other reps in my area know that I do it, and I always encourage them to give it a shot because it puts them on stage, you know, it puts you in the hot seat. It puts you, you are the focus point 
of attention. And it's very similar to being in the OR because, you know, when something happens in the OR, um, there are times where the doctor will look back at you and be like, yo, this just happened. What can I do now? And feeling that pressure, your body tightens up. And I feel like doing it so much on stage, I've almost... I don't want to say become numb, but I know how to, I have a, a much better idea of how to handle that feeling. And it makes, it makes my cases a lot more enjoyable because I'm not a ball of stress the entire time. Uh, that ability to think on your feet, like when you have the entire, cause like the OR is your audience, yeah. right? Like that moment where everybody turns and looks at oh, you yeah. when the surgeon says something. Yep. Like something's gone wrong or he has a question or he or she has a question. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then even even the other aspect of it is, for example, you have hecklers in comedy. And they're always a pain because they always throw you off. They always say something that mentally just messes with you. And there are times you, you experience that in the OR and you kind of have to handle a heckler, you know, like whether it's a competitor or like, it's a PA talking trash or just anything, you know? Like the scrub tech who walks in the room when they're about to change out and they're like, oh, I've seen this yeah. product and oh, it sucks. God, yeah, that is, that's the worst. That's the absolute worst. So socially being able to handle any kind of situation definitely gives, in my opinion, it gives me an edge. Um, but yeah, and I, like I said before, I definitely feel the high the next day and I feel like it's it's infectious. It it kind of like makes everybody else in a better mood um, in the OR. Well, I guess depending who else is there. Do you crack jokes in the OR? Like, are you like? Do you feel like you you have that like funny energy in the OR? Yeah, yeah. I definitely. I know there are times where like I think my defense mechanism is humor too. Um, but one of the docs that I'm really, really close with, uh, he's my boy. I'll like, if I, if I hear a new joke or if I say a new joke, I'll say it to him like in the beginning of the day and then he'll spend the rest of the day telling it to everybody else in the OR. And there was, dude, there was another time and this was pre pandemic. Uh, I had this one joke and I told it at one hospital told it at my main hospital and uh, I ended up saying it to let's say this one group of staff it was a nurse the doctor who I'm really really cool with and then the doctor ended up saying that joke later in the day to it was a different group of people but there was another rep and the other rep thought it was funny and started going around to all of the accounts that we share and started telling it and uh, ended up like getting called out by a couple of people. We're like, that's not your joke. <laughs> like it was just, it was like, stupid. So, but so that's, what's tricky, right? Like I post a funny meme, it's watermarked. So if people start and I, and I have to place that to where yeah, they can crop it out. Exactly. So it starts circulating on LinkedIn and stuff, you know, it's still my joke. Mm -hmm. But when you do it verbally, people can try to steal that, yeah. right? So like, how does that make you feel when you're, when you're, even when it's your search and your joke starts circulating around, but you're not getting credit. Yeah. For it. Oh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't care about that. I feel like a lot of the little 
street jokes, you know, have been recycled all throughout the comedy community throughout the entire country. Um, so I, I don't, I don't mind that. I feel like the good times and the good, real good laughs that we have are just in like general conversation in between cases, uh, either right before or right after a case. Like we say some stupid. So you're talking things that just flow naturally, like not things that you're like testing out for like the night on stage, just things that, that just kind of like, yeah, yeah. Just kind of come out. I mean, like I mentioned, the guy that I'm, I'm really tight with it's his OR like room. We always have like the same group of texts. Well, that, that hospital I'm thinking of, they, all the texts there are awesome, but like mentally we're all on the kind of same page. So just the conversation, the humor flows very organically. But uh, I will admit there are times where I'll try to throw some of my material out just in general conversation to see if it works. And I'll make a note. I'll be like, like oh, that test. was stupid. Or like, oh, I'm definitely keeping that. <laughs> like, And now people that know, they're like, oh, was that part of one of your bits? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It definitely wasn't. And 100% is. <laughs> So I don't know. And, and you just don't tell them whenever, like, uh, if, if it doesn't go over particularly well, then you're like, no, 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 no. It's just, just, uh, something I was, <laughs> yeah. something funny I heard is cool. Yeah. yeah. There, <laughs> dude, there's been so many times where I'll like go off on a tangent and it's in my head, it's like part of a joke and I get no reaction. It's just silent in the OR and I just, I just do what your dog was doing earlier. Just kind of. Curl up in the corner and just, okay, maybe people will forget I just said that. But but it all comes down to, like, reading the room, too, because you got to do it with, like, the right group of people, you know. Um, you can't do it in a stressful situation. Um, but, but yeah. And I, I, think, I think that's a great point and where there's some pretty amazing overlap between comedy and what we do in the operating room is – it's almost like the EQ, like the ability to read the room. Now you're doing it on a much larger scale when you've got an audience, especially hecklers that cannot be reported to HR yeah, yeah. Uh, if they're really taking it too far. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's a great point. And I think, you know, for those that are inclined and not just going to be have crippling anxiety to do it, it might be worth trying it on an open mic night. You test out your skills and ability to handle that pressure. Yeah. I, I like I said, there are other reps that like I speak to about it, and I always recommend it. Um, you know, obviously, the, if there's anybody in the comedy community right now listening into listening to this, they're like, we don't need any more people in the open mic scene. We don't need it. It's so concentrated already. Like, what are you doing? But um, what's the deal with airline? Yeah, flight? yeah, really. <laughs> How many times can you hear that? But. I, I don't know. I always think it's it's good to try different things outside of the med device world. Um, just because, I don't know, there's other skills that really play into our job. Um, there's there's so many different facets to our job. You know, you got to be technical. You got to be socially, uh, you got to be socially savvy. You got to be able to get along with so many different types of personalities. Um, you know, I, I think stand-up was one that definitely helps a lot um so yeah and if anybody ever has any questions about it um listening to the podcast you know hit me up i definitely i i nerd out when i talk about this stuff uh i could talk about comedy for for hours but 
and we and we will tag Ryan whenever we post a podcast. So and if and if you're already listening right now, then you've probably already seen the tag. So Ryan, have have you always been funny? Like when you were growing up, did did you have like the class clown thing going on where you just had that impeccable timing on how to disrupt a classroom and make everybody laugh? Uh, no. I mean, I, I don't I don't think so. I always said like Stupid. I mean, there's so many other people that are so much funnier than me. Even now, I, I like a lot of my friends are so much funnier than me. Uh, I did just. I guess I just do it in a different, different way. Um, but no, I definitely don't think I. I tried. I. I think the key word is try. I tried to be funny a lot growing up, and um, that was not always successful. Definitely. But you know what? Sometimes it's trial and error because you were talking about reading a room and people who can do that in like elementary school, middle school, high school is a extremely rare talent. Yeah, it definitely takes a lot of practice. That's for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's been times where I thought I had a, I had a room completely read. I'm like, oh yeah, everybody's in a good mood and I'll say something and nobody will respond. And I'm like, oh, completely misread that. But it's definitely. Are you talking about when you're when you're like doing comedy oh, I'm, or just like in a social I'm talking setting? specifically. I'm thinking like in an operating room. There's been times where like <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, every, I'm walking in. Okay, yeah, everybody's in a good mood. Let me say this. I'll say it, and everyone will either just look at me and go back to work, or yeah. There's been times I'm just like, why did I even say that? But like you said, it's it's a lot of just trial and error. Um, but I think reading a room is honestly one of the most valuable skills you can have as a med device rep. And you feel like that, this comedy element too, like when you're on stage reading that room has helped you read like rooms in your professional environment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Definitely. Yeah. Just, just because you don't want to, I don't know. I feel like in comedy when, when you get a heckler or any kind of situation where it just becomes awkward if a glass drops if somebody falls out of their chair i've seen that happen before um and you have to handle a situation you don't want to handle it aggressively you have to handle it in a way where you address what's happening but you still have everybody on your side um you know if somebody talks badly about me i could technically, you know, flip out on them uh, and do exactly what they were doing to me. I could be doing that to them. But everyone would be like, why would, like, you both look like a-holes, you know? Or you can take a much more, um, a much more, I don't want to say safer route, but the smarter route and say something that puts the other person in its place addresses the awkward situation and you still save face and you might be able to would you call that like the intellectual route like where you you've kind of outsmarted the heckler versus trying to stoop to their level yeah exactly and when that when that happens oh my god dude that is like you are ready to you could you feel like you could scrub up and operate after something like that happens you feel so freaking smart after that (laughs) like 
like the heckler clearly didn't win for so many reasons there and the audience is still on your side yeah that is the best feeling um and i just keep drawing it back to being in the operating room and like our job like there's so many similarities it's it's crazy i didn't realize that until i don't know i was four or five years and after i stopped bombing consistently like don't get me wrong like i still bomb like uh but i'm having i'm having more better sets than back when i first started which was just getting on stage for five minutes and it being nothing but crickets it was brutal well five minutes isn't very long so like you really had to just absolutely nail it in five minutes right because that's not a very long time to be able to read a room and read the feedback, right? Yeah, you know what? Five minutes actually, it's in the beginning, it feels like forever. It feels like a really long time. Feels like an eternity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you're right. It, it isn't a whole lot of time um, to pick up the vibe of everybody in the audience, um, to pick up, you know, the, just the general attitude of everybody. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, five minutes definitely felt like a lot. So whenever you're doing these things on stage and there's, there's a certain set lineup, right? Where like your first, second, third, fourth Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Now, is there a parallel there? Like whenever you're trialing, like when you, when people say like, you don't want to be trialing in the middle, you want to be first or you want to be last, like based on how things go. Cause you can kind of read if you're trialing last, what happened in the first couple of trials is that the same thing with comedy where you watch the first few acts and you're like okay i can kind of adjust based on what just happened to these guys i i guess in a sense yeah i like in comedy it's always in the beginning it's usually either the out of the whole lineup it's usually the less experienced or the less popular comics that go and then the last one is the headliner the best one they have the most time people are there to see them um but I think it relates to like trials in a sense where you just want to be so undeniably good. I think Steve Martin said that in his book. He's like, just be so good that nobody can tell you otherwise of not being funny. Something like that. I don't know. I definitely destroyed that quote. Um, but the idea of just being. I think we, we got the. Yeah, just that, being though. undeniably good because if you think about it in a trial if you go second if you go third um i feel like it doesn't matter when you go but if you're on top of all your stuff um you know everything the ins and outs you know people will remember that and that's tough to forget when it comes to a vote of who has the best product you know um and that's where it's different too because in the trial well unofficially or officially, there's no headliner. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> like, the, like the best product, it's not designed that like the best product goes last because that's what everybody wants to see. Like the idea is that everybody gets an equal shake. Yeah. But, but I, but I totally get what you mean, right? Like, it shouldn't matter if you're first, second, third. You should leave a lasting impression because you brought it. You were so prepared. Mm-hmm. You understood what your audience, you know, being the customer wanted and needed in that situation yeah yeah and, I, and you feel like that's the same way with comedy yeah and that's i think too like it's the extra stuff that you do that puts you 
above everybody else. Like, obviously, you could do a trial, but are you gonna are you gonna go out and maybe take some of the staff out for drinks? Are you gonna go out with them afterwards? Are you gonna talk to them in between cases, get to know them a little bit? Um, I feel like, with, or even your in service, yeah, yeah, even the in service, just. It's the extra effort that makes the world of a difference, and I feel like that's how it is in comedy too. Like after my shows, I always try to at least spend time thanking people when they're walking out. Um, you know, so you get that connection. Yeah, yeah, you know, because I mean, obviously everybody loves the headliner, but it's the little guys that put the extra effort in and say thank you, you guys were great, and shoot the shit with the audience afterwards. That leaves. And show some humility. Yeah, it, it leaves a much better, not better, but it just leaves a good impression. And people will remember you for that. Well, probably better. I think better is the right word for that. I mean, people remember that whenever you show an interest in them. And it's not all about Exactly. You. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think people that do that, it separates them from the rest. Um, what What was your inspiration for getting into, like, the, the stand-up side of things. Like, what really sparked that? Dude, I you know what? Everybody has this crazy story of like, oh, I remember watching Comedy Central, like blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I, I, I have the worst. I, I feel like the only set I remember watching when I was younger was Nick Swartzen on Premium Blend. And I just remember him <laughs> talking about this bit where like when he wants to, when he dies, he wants to have a funeral be like a giant rave and he wants to hang from the ceiling with strobe lights go off. I don't know why. I haven't even seen that bit in forever. But, um, I, dude, I don't even know why I do it, to be honest with you. my When I first started doing stand-up, the first time I officially tried it, first time ever, it was seven minutes. It was at my college. They, I, I went to Towson University. And they had a thousand last comic standing and I did it. And for seven minutes in front of about two, eh, 150 people, I want to say, uh, it was silent. I just completely, it was the most brutal bomb ever. And it was the first time that I went. And what made it even worse was it was spring semester of my freshman year and I just, oh, I just no. got into, I just got into a frat and, and they were all there. So for the next four years, like they just reminded me so much of how bad that show was. And then after I, re- I was like too scared to do stand up again. So I did improv for a couple of years and that was fun. It, it was definitely a good time. Um, but I don't know. I felt like there was something else out there and then I tried doing stand up again it was I didn't I didn't stick with it again I like I just it was so difficult um I had such a hard time is improv a different pressure than doing stand up is it because there's more people there with you when you're doing improv yeah like it's so much easier I mean think about it in the operator room if you have a really tough case, right? It's always easier to get through a tough case with like two or three people in the room with you. Like I've, I've, I feel like I've been in revisions and I've done a revision by myself compared to a revision with like two other people. Dude, 
I feel like the revision with two other people, I feel like you can do no wrong. Compared to doing a revision by yourself, you are scared shitless the entire time. Even though the entire time you know what to do, but you were just so nervous. And I think that... That's such a good analogy. Yeah, I think (laughs) think it's exactly like being on stage. It's so easier to bomb a show with six, seven other people next to you compared to completely bombing by yourself on stage. Uh, Just... Because nobody's going to bail you out, right? Like, it is literally on you. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's so, like, when it's bad, it is bad. Um, there's, I have so many old sets on my phone just, just trying, just listen. Like, I'll listen every now and then to my old sets, and it's just the worst material ever. But it's necessary because you need to, you need to acknowledge your growth. You know what I mean? If if you're not embarrassed, but but the fact you're willing to go back and do that, I mean that's that's admirable. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like there are days, and even now in in this job that this crazy crazy job that we have, like every now and then we ha- I feel like we have to go back and look at like the first notebook that we had when you were just learning anatomy, and you're like, oh my god, I remember I couldn't remember any of this. I had no idea what this bone was. But did you keep that? I dude, I saw that. I still have it. Uh, maybe a month ago, it's like in a filing cabinet. So you're a hoarder, just like me. What'd you say? <laughs> so you're you're a hoarder, just <laughs> like me. Like all yeah. that other, like all that old stuff. Yeah, I, there's some stuff that I just don't want to get rid of, and I I saw that, and that was one thing I didn't want to get rid of. I, I I had like I wrote down all of the doctors that I'd be working with. I wrote down like some of their names just off of. Uh, somebody else telling me them over the phone and I completely butcher their names. And I look back, I'm like, hey, why did I, how did I think a, a you was in that? I'm like, it's just <laughs> so stupid, but it's good. Like I said, it, it helps you acknowledge your growth. Um, it, I don't know, kind of reframes it. And you're more thankful for where you are now because you realize you're like, wow, I was an idiot back then, but look where I am now. Not as much. Yep. As an idiot. Do you ever hear any of the hecklers in those recordings? And you're like, damn, that was pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think. Not. Like, I'm curious. Like, like, if you had, like, some hecklers that actually hit you with some witty stuff, not just some drunk guy being like, you suck. Yeah, I, I don't think I've experienced that. I have seen crazy instances. Uh, there was one mic when I first started. There was barely anybody in this bar. And... There was these two old guys by the bar and they were like heckling this one comedian and in about a minute and a half, the comedian and both the old guys, which are pretty drunk, like nearly got into a fight. They nearly went to blows. And I just remember being on the side like, what am I doing with my life? Uh, (laughs) Like how how early on? I was probably... I still remember my set from that night, and it was painful. It was so brutal. Uh, maybe a little over a year. Um, yeah, but then and then there and and how long and how long have you been doing this? That that's I think that's an important question for the audience that I, that I did oh not oh ask yeah no, no how I, long have I you think been I mentioned doing it earlier about a little over five years. Uh, the pandemic okay. kind of threw everything off. I actually did a lot over Zoom, um, which. 
wasn't the real thing, but it was like, I don't know, somewhat comparable. So, uh, but yeah, Zoom was, Zoom was, I don't know, it is what it is, you know, like, um, but yeah, so I've been doing it long enough, but it took about like three, four, three and a half years, I want to say, to get over that initial hump of not bombing every single time. Um, again, like, like with this job, like there's so many parallels to this. I just remember when I first started being a med device rep, people were like, you're going to, everything's going to click after like a year and a half. And I had no idea what that meant. And then I remember like a year, a little over a year and a half, it was like, it was like that moment at the end of the matrix where everything just kind of like fell into place and you understand everything, how everything works, you know? Um, if that could happen in a year and a half, that is incredible. Yeah. Well, I also, I was very <laughs> limited. <laughs> so it wasn't, it took me. Well, and also, I mean, you, you're, you're a lot more mature than a lot of like other folks, like starting right out of college where you'd done several things beforehand. Uh, yeah. Maybe you're, maybe it's that frontal lobe being a little more developed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really. Trying to, trying to do it too early on. Cause I will tell you that it was not 18 months. When I started, how, how long would you <laughs> say for you? Like three years? Well, I, I will say this. I mean, I won't go too far into this, but you know, I, I started with some pretty complex technology. So, I mean, it was, it was probably about 24 months 24? where I felt like I got this, I can walk into a room and there's nothing I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. There's like no, like there's no curveball you can throw at me, but that was also a very different situation. Um, just, just knowing like associate reps that I've worked with, like new reps I've worked with. And this is so specially dependent too. you know, 18 months is where you're finally not a deer in the headlights, yeah. whether you want to admit it or not. Mm -hmm. And that's not just from walking in the operating room. That's understanding like how would IDN works? Like what a GPO really is not just the clinical and technical aspects of your products, but like that comprehensive high level picture of how your customers operate, how they think, what's important to them, you know, how hospital financials work. That took some time. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of it just came out of stubbornness. That was just a yeah. lot of info. For yeah. That aspect. 22 year old to try to comprehend. Oh my gosh. That aspect of the game took me forever. So when I say a year and a half, like a little over a year and a half, I was talking more about like, the anatomy, how the product works, like being able to handle tough situations if something backfires. But like, oh, yeah, the, the the back end part that took me forever. I'm definitely a slow learner when it when it comes to stuff that isn't written out step by step. Uh, yeah, that's. Okay. I mean, let's be honest. Like, most of us aren't going to learn those types of things that quickly. I think. A lot of the a lot of the folks in this industry, it's we learn through hands-on trial and error, like things that we experience, not things that you know marketing is going to send us in an email or a Zoom mm -hmm. call or a breakout session. Not saying that those are all useless. Uh, just saying that that is that is definitely not how you accelerate learning yeah. in this industry. Oh but I do I do want to go back real quick to the comedy side. Because I'm curious, like your inspirations, 
as far as comedians go? Like, who gets you fired up? You mentioned Steve Martin in his book earlier, and I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. Yeah. The Jerk is, like, one of my favorite movies. But, like, who who else? Like, when you when you look to, like, comedians that inspire um, you? I definitely like Steve Martin. Uh, he's definitely... His, his type of humor, his jokes, I feel like there was... <sighs> He breaks away from like the usual structure. Like his jokes were just a different type of joke. It's, it's just I don't know. It, his acts are just so entertaining every single time. Um, who else do I? I don't. I feel like I listen to so many different comedians. Um, like kind of hard to pinpoint like any one specific. Yeah, one. there's there's one guy. Um, let's see, Roy Woods. Uh, Roy Woods Jr. He's he's amazing writer. Um, there's a newer guy in the city who I, I think is awesome joke writer. Uh, Gianmarco Ceresi. He's really really good. Uh, yeah, if you guys need a new comic to look up, definitely look his stuff up. Um, I think these are great because I think most of us are familiar with like a lot of the like more well known comics like. Everybody knows who Dave yeah. Chappelle is. Like a lot of people probably listen to Jim Gaffka, mm-hmm. Daniel Tosh, God forbid Dane Cook. But you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Breath of fresh air from a comedy standpoint is not a bad thing. Yeah, well, it's those lower. It's like the the amateurs or like the lower, the newer professionals, I guess you could say, that you can learn more from. Um, and even like you know. When I first started, I would feel more inclined to ask the doctors that were straight out of school or straight out of like, you know, fellowship, ask them questions because they were just easier to talk to. They were a lot more relatable um, and they didn't mind. Speaking. And they've got the cutting yeah, edge. And they didn't, they didn't mind speaking to um, like newer reps just because they were new themselves. You know what I mean? Like it's so much easier to learn from somebody that's closer to you and experience. Um, and humility. Right? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's, I feel like for some guys, it's so awkward to ask any kind of question to an orthodox that's been doing it for 30 years, you know, his, his, his or her ego will just get in the way and be like, don't waste my time with these stupid questions. I did see something amazing not too long ago, though. There was a surgeon that we thought was particularly difficult <clears throat> that actually had a lot more passion for teaching than I ever expected, where mm-hmm. I saw actually a sportsman rep that I'm friends with. We were in a break room, and it was a, a surgeon that he was targeting, and he asked, it was a procedure he will do inside and out, but he asked the surgeon uh, if he could walk him through a few things. The surgeon grabs a to-go box, grabs a Sharpie and just starts drawing it out on the to-go the box. And you'd be amazed how many of these guys, even if they seem so difficult, love to teach, mm-hmm. which actually makes a lot of sense if you think about it. They're teaching you their technique because you showed an interest in it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I love being able to learn like that. Um, I feel like those doctors are kind of hard to come by. Do you, Do you see a lot of those type of doctors that, that would take the time to teach some techniques and stuff. Honestly, no, no, (laughs) especially 
I say no when you, using the term a lot. I don't see a lot of doctors that, you know, if you go into the operating room and you say, hey, can you walk me through your surgical technique? Um, you know, if they're using your products or even somebody else's mm. products. But I, but I see some. And more than I would have expected, I guess, is the right way to put that. Because I do like to do that. If, you know, I, I like to sit in cases, even if it's not, you know, the core of my product being used, where you can learn something from mm. it. And there, even the most difficult surgeon, for the most part, is not going to knock you or dog you for approaching them and asking them to teach you something. They might say no or might grunt at you or just completely dismiss you, but I don't think they're, they're not going to think less of you for doing that. Yeah, I don't. So I think it's always worth the ask or, I mean, ask their PA or like, you know, the, the, the most um, frequent surgical tech they work with if the surgeon be open mm -hmm. to that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I know that's kind of a tangent from, from what we were just previously, excuse me, previously discussing uh, on the, on the comedy side. And I think the, We'll start to wrap this up here, but the last last thing I wanted to ask you too is, you know, if you're if you're looking at the we'll call it you know career uh, that you've had, you know, comedy plus med device, what do you think the best thing you have gotten out of that has been? Um, let's see, out of the med device and comedy career, that combination oh, of the two. Man. Um. I guess I want to say humble confidence. I feel like being able to walk into a room where you can confidently handle any situation, but you don't come off as cocky or arrogant. Um, I think that's the best way to portray yourself be humbly confident and i feel like you can only really get to that level after going through so many rounds of tough cases late nights um you know bombing uh it gets to a point where you just feel as if you can handle any kind of situation and you're not going to feel as if you're on that level. I feel like other people will let you know you're on that level. You know what I mean? Like you did such a great job. Like that was awesome. Or like you crushed that case. Like I can't believe – like we couldn't have done that case without you. Like that is the best feeling ever. Um, like let that validation come to you like through your actions. Yeah, yeah. That's – that's, I feel like a lot of – uh, with this job too, don't, I don't know. It, it's, it's weird with this job. I, I feel like in a sense, we all have quotas. We all need to crush our quotas. There are times where I feel like if I look at my quota every single day, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to lose my mind because I'm like, okay. It's like, it's like checking your stock portfolio exactly. every day, right? It's so, it's so bad. But, um, but if you stop focusing on the outcome and folk and trust the process, I'm a Sixers fan, um, but actually like trust the process and just focus on learning that everything will fall into place. You know, um, I feel like those are the two big things, humbly confident and trust the process. 
I think you hit the nail on the head. And that's something I'm a huge proponent of is being humble but confident. And I think there's a lot to be said for that because it comes through experience. Yeah. It doesn't come through entitlement. It comes through patience, trial and error, mm-hmm. being a true subject matter expert, which does not happen overnight. So I want to make sure that if we've got new reps that are listening to us right now, that you take that to heart. Yeah. Nobody came right out of the gates being rep of the year, being you know the world's greatest sales rep. You've got to be willing to just knuckle down and make those mistakes. Yeah. You're, shouldn't be living in a zero defect environment where, you know, one mistake is a a fatal flaw for your career. If it is, you're in the wrong place. So I, I think with that, Ryan, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. And this was incredible, man. That was especially from the comedy perspective. I mean, who would have known there were so many parallels between doing stand-up comedy and what we do in the operating room? I absolutely love it. Yeah, it, it's it's nuts. And thank you so much for having me. I mean, this has been great. Uh, your page, I feel like, not only gets me through the day, but it gets a bunch of the coworkers I work with, the doctors that I work with. You know, we're always in these group chats, sending memes to each other, and it's it's awesome. What you're doing is is great, and I hope you just keep on keep on doing it. You know. I really appreciate that. And guys, I didn't pay him to say that, but <laughs> yeah. that's what makes it all worth it. <laughs> we're, we're all in this together and that's why I keep doing it. So, Hey, we'll start to wrap things up here. Ryan, Hey, best of luck out there, man. Thanks again. Really appreciate your support and all of the stuff that you send me in my DMS always hilarious <laughs> <laughs> and, and keep cranking out that TikTok content because that's what originally drew me in. That's that is funny stuff. All right, with that, we're going to bring things to a close. Thanks again, Ryan, for coming on the show. Red Hat Gang, if y'all need anything, you know where to find me. And don't forget to check out the new website, maddevicenetwork.com. I do update it regularly, so be sure to check it out. With that, good luck out there. Catch you on the next episode.